start with uh, something that happened. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. So um, we live near a bunch of crazy partying college kids, and they kind of move out and in and shifts because we live over by the park. And these weren't actually the guys, but they, they all kind of look the same once they get drinking. And um, so I got this house full of guys, and uh, I was sleeping. Uh, we just went, we went to uh, Ellsworth to the church I used to pastor because Richard's brother, we went to his funeral. And I came home and I was exhausted. I've had a rough few days and I'm sleeping and I woke up and Susan said, did you hear what those guys are singing over there? And they're singing like the most blasphemous, like curse laden song. And I don't even know what the song was, but it, it the kind of the, the high point is Jesus isn't real. Let's talk about denying all his miracles. No, drunk guys, you know, ha, ha, ha. You know, when I was rebellious, I, I would do bad things, but that kind of stuff, like, scared me. I don't know, maybe some of you rebellious people, like, just overtly blasphemous stuff. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'll be in the house by the cake. I'm not going to do that with you guys. I was like, plus you got 20, 30 guys just, like, singing this blasphemous Jesus isn't real song. And uh, so I took my dog out and I was like, hey, maybe I can go talk to some of them. And, and uh, you know, we should all start praying for them. Ha, they don't know what they got started here, do they? Uh, they're going to get saved. It's because of that dumb song they sang. But um, so I started looking up, Jesus isn't real. And I was like, maybe I'll find the lyrics and I can see what they're saying. And couldn't find it. But I found that Jesus isn't real song and uh, it was you're gonna laugh you guys all need to rush out and get this album uh, it looks really good those of you on the uh internet you can't see this i don't want to make fun of these guys i mean they're good-hearted guys they don't you can't blame them for being born in the 70s that's just when they were born so uh polyester matching suits and all but anyway i the only song i could find was Please don't tell my daddy Jesus isn't real. And I thought, you know, there's philosophical reasons to believe in the resurrection. There's apologetics reasons to believe in the reasons to believe in the resurrection. But I listened to this song and then I went and I played it for Susan in the kitchen. And this little boy, it's, you know, it's kind of storyline, like the folksy songs. This, boy, this little boy is listening to a couple adults arguing about the reality of Jesus. And this little boy, <clears throat> he's saying, it breaks his heart because one of the guys is convinced Jesus isn't real. The little boy's like, well, maybe Jesus isn't real. He says, please don't tell my daddy Jesus isn't real. Because uh, since Jesus saved him, he stopped beating mommy. And he stopped drinking. And he's been really good to me and my brother. And uh, so uh, I was like, you know what? That's a stinking good argument right there. That's about the best argument there is. Because most people that are arguing, they don't, a lot of this argumentation, it's smoke. They know what's true. God's already convicting them. And they say, yeah, but if I can argue with you over here, I'll never have to deal with my heart issues. But the best proof that Jesus everybody knows Jesus is real, but he is who the Bible says he is, and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. 
I think, I don't know if it's the best, it's one of the best, is that when somebody believes this and embraces this, it changes them like nothing else on earth. And I've been around the block, you know, I've got gray hair now. I've been around, I've been seriously seeking the Lord for 30 years. I've been all over the world. I lived in Russia, I've been to Africa 15 times, been to Bangladesh, I've been all over the place. I've been in prisons, I've been on the street, I've dealt with PhDs, I've dealt with, you know, whatever. I mean, Mexican mafia, white supremacists, Crips, Bloods, everything. I've been all over the place, dealt with all kinds of people. And there's something about this message of a God-man dying for our sins and raising from the dead, that when someone gets it and they embrace it, it so resonates with what they are as a human being like nothing else. And it has the ability to completely, utterly, totally transform their life. And so someone's like, hey, prove to me this pill works to cure cancer. Like, okay. I'll show you 497 people who are my personal friends who have been cured of cancer by taking this pill. Well, I don't want to look at that evidence. I want to take it to the lab. And I want you to show me on paper how it works. Like, no, this message... I, we can go do the paperwork if you want. We can look at the apologetics. We can look at the philosophy. But I would say the best evidence for the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is the, the there's nothing else. I've, I've never even heard of anybody try to pretend there's anything that comes close to the transformative power of the gospel. So I just thought, I was this morning like, Susan, what are some of the coolest testimonies? She mean, she's like, you mean our friends, people we know? I'm like, no, like the big, huge scale kind of testimonies. Well, of course, we should begin with the Apostle Paul, who was maybe one of the most brilliant men alive on planet Earth in his day. There's good reason to believe this. And he was trying to destroy Christianity, and he was confronted by the risen Christ. And instead, he then went around and turned the world on its head, proclaiming this message of the resurrected Christ. Yeah, but that was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it's not even a photograph. It's just like a painting. So was that really even real? Yes, it was real, but we can move on closer to our time if you want to. Uh, I encourage you guys to read The Cross and the Switchblade because one of the reasons I have you read that, we're not Pentecostals. I mean, we're like that far away from Pentecostals, but they're great. I mean, Jim Sybil is a Pentecostal. They're family members. He's, it's a Pentecostal minister. He goes to New York City, right smack dab in the middle of gang warfare. And the power of the Holy Spirit transforms these kids' lives. And this book, Run, Baby, Run, is by a guy named Nicky Cruz. I think he's still alive. But uh, he was the worst of all the kids. And the gospel utterly transformed his life. And, and um, I mean, he was just a murderous critic. His, his parents were um, occultists and severely abused him. And, um, and his, his life was just an utter night, nightmare. So these kids were into sexual abuse and violence and murder and all this stuff. And the gospel transformed his life, message of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he spent the last 50 plus years um, faithfully ministering, utterly transformed. And so this is his, takes his story out of the cross and the switchblade and just gives you a lot more of the details. But people like that are, anybody know who that is? Guy, no, it's a guy named Stephen Marin. And he was FBI 10 most wanted. Um, he was a sexual predator. He profiled women. 
abused them, murdered them. And um, he kidnapped a woman named Margie Mayfield back in the 80s. But this woman was full of Holy Spirit, a demon-stomping, faith-filled, amazing stay-at-home mom because none of the pastors were up for the gig. God had to let him profile a woman and get him in the car, get her in the car with him. But by the end of the day, because this woman knew how to deal with Satan, she knew how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. By the end of this day, this man, Stephen Wren, who had just murdered a woman that morning, had surrendered his life to Jesus, taken the bolts out of his gun, given himself up, gone to the prison. And uh, it's also it's a super cool story <clears throat> because after it was all over, sometimes God has you do things. And then when you're done, you're like, what did you just have me do? What in the world? Because she was really literally just a stay-at-home mom. God said, I need you to go back and talk to this guy. She says, I think, I think we're good. I think, uh, no, I think we got things taken care of. It's going to be safe. Like, How do I talk to him when we get to heaven? You know that? You know, it's like, no, I need you to go. <laughs> and basically what happened was this guy said, God, if all that happened to me was real, my birthday's coming up, and I want that woman to come visit me. She didn't know that's what he had just prayed. And she goes to the prison because this woman obeys God. A lot of you guys aren't having fun because you don't obey. You don't obey, you don't get any action. That the difference between the haves and the have-nots in this church and in this world are some Christians obey and some Christians make excuses. Anyway, so God says go to prison, and, and she goes to the prison. And uh, he said, this, that's what happened. I said, God, was all this real? And I want this woman to come. It's my birthday. That's the only thing I want. She talks to the warden. He said, my life has changed because of this guy. And this guy's had a huge, he's on death row. He's, he was put to death. Utterly, totally transformed by the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's no other message that does that. And then here's, here's the case for Christ. And you're like, yeah, I used, it works for criminals. Well, what about the clean, smart folks? Well, this guy, he's a reporter for uh, Chicago Sun-Times, and he basically wants to prove that the resurrection isn't true because his wife has become a Christian, and he wants to convince her she's a nut job. And instead, he goes through all the rigmarole and all the testing and the, all the evidence, and he ends up surrendering to Christ. So you, it works for the downtrodden and the wicked, and it works for the cultural elites and the intelligentsia and everybody. But there's nothing like this message. And then who is this? This is uh, on our 25th anniversary. Susan and I went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Um, <laughs> no, this is just a church that we've loved for as long as we've known each other. It's a Brooklyn Tabernacle. We never got to go there. So for our 25th, we went out there. One of the beautiful things about the Brooklyn Tabernacle is you can't see the choir there. But they're every different race under the sun. And you've got, it's funny, you've got lawyers and bankers and doctors and you've got pimps and prostitutes and addicts and crazies and and they've all been utterly totally transformed and you can go on the website and just you know spend a few hours watching their testimonies um and i could talk all day about different people and we've watched their testimonies so many times over the years almost like Friends, you know, they came to church. Wow, I do a Calvin. You know, hey, there's Wanda. You know, really, she was a she was a Vogue model, and uh, her her hairstylist was a ten thousand a day dollar a day stylist when she was doing. And she he was starting to lose it, and she would say, "When you call in the name of the Lord, you're going to be saved." No, sorry, I shouldn't. Have. 
I will never call on the name of the Lord. You know, that was just like this. Anyway, he loses it, goes bonkers. He said he's got voices in his head. One is laughing all the time. One is condemning him all the time. He takes all his credit cards out, cuts them up in a trash can, and he just walks around New York City like a madman. And then he has a breakdown, and his voice comes. And then you call the name of the Lord, and he says, and Danny talks about it. And he basically says, Jesus. Hey, go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle and meet him sometime. Calvin the crack egg, or, you know, all these different people. But it's the death brand. Where does this... Where does this happen? What other religion has this? And so well, I grew up in Christianity and I never saw that. Well, so did I, but that's because we weren't doing it right. When you preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus properly, this happens. And we have some of those people right here in this room. We've got certifiable crazies. We've got hopeless drug addicts. We've got street people. We've got abuse victims. We got everything under the sun in this place. And you really don't need <laughs> you really don't need the philosophical. I mean, it's nice to know that some of the smartest people in you know, the history of the world have believed this and they could prove it philosophically and apologetically and all that. But it's just true. And it works. So people have the soul cancer. We're hopeless, we're crazy, we're condemned, we hate ourselves, we cut ourselves, we're suicidal, we're, we're going after the wrong things, our hearts are broken, all our relationships are breaking down, we've got soul cancer. And someone comes along and says, hey, i got a pill. Prove that that thing works. Prove it to me. I'm not taking that thing until we go to the lab and test it 47 different ways from Tuesday. Forget about it. You know, it's like, well, how about this? I will show you tens of thousands of human beings who have been transformed in a way Muslim, Islam can't do it. Buddhism can't do it. Mormonism can't do it. Catholicism can't do it. No, these other, these forms of Christianity that don't preach the gospel straight can't do it. But the true gospel, gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when you own it and you believe that the God man became your sacrifice for your sins, was put in the ground, rose on the third day, you say, Forgive me, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, which means I'm going to let you be Lord. You, something supernatural happens. Do you know what actually happens to you? You get to take part in the resurrection. You get to, to, to basically, mysteriously, in some mind-blowing way that we can't comprehend, the power of the resurrection actually is made effectual in your life, and that's where that transformation comes from. That power that rose Jesus from the dead invades your life, and that's what changes everything. So I believe in the resurrection. That's a pretty powerful thing, not just because it's philosophically viable and apologetically defensible and all that, but because I've seen it again and again and again and again and again and again. Fix and change and transform like nothing else. So I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures. Paul basically, he says, for this reason too, I do not cease giving thanks for you or making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Hold on, I'm going to get there. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Boom. 
So you'll know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint, and the, sur the surpassing, actually, to change the wording on this, the one I memorized, surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. The power that raised Jesus from the dead will invade your life and transform you if you will believe the gospel and open your heart to the Holy Spirit. What strength are you talking about here, Paul? The strength that's in accordance with the working of his strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We are invaded by the resurrection power of God. And that's why we have miracles in this funny little disorganized church. And people who don't preach that, that's why they don't have any miracles. There's nothing that transforms a life like belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then applying, not just theoretically, but then applying it, owning it. I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to believe that that death took my sin. I'm going to believe that that resurrection gives me new life. And I'm just going to say, all right, God, lay it on me. I'll take it. So Paul says, I pray that you'd wake up to what the resurrection is all about and the implications for your life, that power that's available to you. Uh, and again, how do we know it's true? Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to let you know that it's true. We live in a day where we say, well, let's take it to the lab and test it. God said, that's not how I'm going to do it. He said, my Holy Spirit is going to let you know when you hear this message, it is true. So own it. That's going to be the foundation. Science is not standing on any foundation. It's floating in midair. And they're saying it's true because it works. Well, you know what? I can say the same thing. This is true because it works. I didn't even get a single amen. I know this is true because it works, man. Jesus Christ, the God man, paid your penalty for the, the penalty for your sins on the cross. They put him in the ground. He conquered death, sin, the devil, hell, everything, rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. And if you believe that, you will be changed. If you don't believe it, you won't. If you want some other path, it's not going to work. It's a gift you receive, or there's no other way in. But he said, Jesus said, uh, I tell you the truth. It's your, Jesus said, it's your advantage that I go away. Go back where I came from. Because if I go, I'm going to send a helper. That's the Holy Spirit to you. When he comes, he will convict the world. He'll convince the world concerning your sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment, concerning everything that I'm saying to you. How do you know it's true? It's funny when I was reading the cross and the switchblade, and I've seen this a lot because I deal with a lot of hardcore people. David Wilkerson said the one thing that the kids were the most afraid of, these really beat up kids in all these gangs in New York, the one thing they're afraid of was breaking down in tears because the gospel message does surgery on your soul and you just know it's true. You know you're a sinner. You know you're condemned before God. You know you need a solution. You know you'll never be able to do it yourself. But you know that what you're being told about this God man bearing your sin is what you need. And if you embrace it by faith, uh, it, it just it just hits you and resonates with the deepest part of you. What is it? That's the Holy Spirit saying this is true. And Jesus rose from the dead. So it is finished. So the Holy Spirit is the one who affects this in us. Uh, how are we saved? Those of you who learn the Romans road. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means he's the boss. Get off the throne of your heart. This salvation is not a fire insurance, a ticket to heaven. Go live in happy pony land when you die and strum a harp. 
No, it's about getting free of your sin issue and be reconciled to God. It's not for the sweet by and by. It's for the nitty gritty here and now. That's what salvation is for. But you have to confess Jesus is Lord, which means he's the boss. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Without the raised him from the dead part, there's no forgiveness of sin. Your faith is worthless. What the heck is your Christianity? But a bunch of boring rituals and a waste of your Sunday. But if it's true, nothing else matters. So, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Why? Because the Spirit's telling you it's true. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So, um, some of you in here, you're like, I know what you're talking about. I'm experiencing that. I was crazy. I was an addict. I had sin issues. I had, I, I mean, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what life was about. I have joy. I have peace. Things are making sense. Uh, and you're saying, I, I'm, I've certainly not experienced it like I can or I will in the future, but I'm experiencing it. Resurrection power in my life. See someone over there going like this. See someone else going like this. It's true. But some of you are like, I never experienced that. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, this is a point that I just want to make here. There's one necessary thing that you're going to have to do if you're going to experience your own personal resurrection. And there's something that Jesus had to do to experience his own personal resurrection. Any idea what that is? You got to die. Some of you in this room who I love aren't getting it because you just won't die. I'm not talking about committing suicide. I'm talking about getting off the throne of your life and giving up your life and saying, Jesus, I give you everything. Not, hey, you got to let me date who I want to date. You got to let me have the job I want to have. Uh, you got to let me keep these hobbies and these relationships. And I got to go to the church. that's going to make my parents happy. Like, Jesus, I don't have any opinions anymore. Dead people don't have any opinions. Dead people don't have any rights. Dead people don't argue. The only way that this resurrection thing is going to work for you is the day you make the choice to die to who you are and what you are. Jesus said, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life, for my sake, he says, you're going to find it. But the only way to experience this resurrection power I'm talking about is you've got to die. So that's your application. Your application is yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but here's the application. You want the supernatural stuff. Why is God like them so much? Why is he always answering their prayers? Why are they all emotional and having a good time in worship? And I'm just like over here, you know, like Johnny Stormcloud. Um, because you won't die. It doesn't mean life's gonna be perfect and you're never gonna have problems or whatever, but if you want to experience that the victory. And you get it more and more and more. You tap into it as life goes on. But it's always there. It's always available. But we have to die. We have to die, not just to our sin. I was thinking of Paul, uh, not Paul, in the Old Testament, King Saul. God said, I want you to go into this place, this wicked place. I want you to destroy everything. Saul goes in and says, I have an idea. How about we just destroy all the worthless stuff and keep the stuff that we think is good? That's why he lost his kingdom. You don't come to Christ and say, all right, I want you to get rid of my addiction, my depression, 
my anxiety, but uh, I think I'm going to take keep my uh, sexual morality and my love of money and uh, my hatred of this ethnic group or whatever it is. I said, no, I want you to die to everything. And then we're going to reorder it all because you have no idea how to live. You have no idea how to prioritize your life. Put it all there. We'll wipe it all out. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. He's, I'm going to make everything new. He's not going to destroy your identity. He's going to redeem your identity because you are very unique. But what's fueling you and your creativity and your gifts is sick and twisted. And God has to just, you just have to die. And then that resurrection power will fill you. And then you'll find your created purpose and destiny. And uh, I'll just end with this. That is what baptism is supposed to be. If we'd study our Bibles, instead of make stuff up and then try to force people to believe it and call it Christianity, we just study our Bibles. Paul is very clear on what baptism is supposed to be. Baptism was your burial service. That's what it was supposed to be. I thought it was magic juju that would just make God do me favors once I did it. Or I thought we sprinkled babies so they wouldn't be cast into hell or whatever. Paul said baptism is your, is your burial service. Because you as a choice chose to die to who you were, what you were. Not just, not just the bad, ugly things that were embarrassing and shameful. Everything. You let Jesus take the throne in your life, you say, I'm going to follow you. And like I said, you might say, Jesus, I may be the dumbest, worst follower you've got. There's a, you've got a lot, a lot of work to do in this one. But I mean business. I'm really going to follow you. He said, that's all I need. All I need is a for real. All I need is a for real commitment to follow me. And it's going to take some time, but you have to die. And this is what Paul says. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? I don't think there's anything magic about baptism. Baptism is given to us so that we'll comprehend what's happening in the spiritual realm. We've been buried with him. It's your burial service through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the resurrection, I might as well read the rest of it. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Whatever happened to Jesus when he was raised from the dead, I get it mine whatever he defeated when he died it's going to be defeated in my life and whatever is made available through his resurrection it's mine ephesians says every spiritual blessing in heavenly places so the resurrection is really central to absolutely everything um, in the new testament and the christian faith and without it we got nothing so if it's true nothing else matters if it's false it falls nothing else matters but it is true and we know it's true and the proof is it has absolutely totally changed your life. And if it hasn't changed your life, whether you're out there in internet land or you're visiting the church, why would you leave without saying, hey, I want some of that? I, I want some of that. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not right with God. Um, it, you know, try to earn it. You're just going to get further down the hole. The, 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 the hallway is only going to get longer in your nightmare. Try to earn it. It's a gift. It's finished. If you confess with the mouth of Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you can now explain that phrase in the creed, and you can do it 10,000 other ways, you know, as well. But uh, just want to talk about one more line in this incredible, amazing creed that you should all know, study, and own. Uh, but I believe in the resurrection. So let's say a word of prayer. Father, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. He's given us everything. We love him. He's real. He's in this room. Your spirit is in this room. 
You transform lives. That message transforms lives like nothing else on earth. And it's a gift, and we thank you for it. Help us, Lord, to carry on that mission that you gave to the apostles, the first disciples, to go into all the world and make disciples, preach the gospel, help people know that Jesus rose from the dead. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.